You ever have one of those weeks that things started out great only to get progressively worse? Anyone like that? Yeah, I've had one of those weeks. I think our staff has had one of those weeks. Uh, I just, first of all, want to thank them for the, the amazing job that they've done this week. And uh, it's, it's kind of been a, a challenging week, a stressful week, uh, a great week, all of those things wrapped together. Um, but then you think about that, things start out great, they get progressively worse, only to end up amazing. That's really how this week has been in this narrative of this uh, uh, story of Jesus of the, the final week of his earthly ministry. As we've been walking uh, down the road, down the path that he has walked with his disciples and for his disciples, for his followers, this was a very challenging week for them. Thinking of everything that took place, everything at the start from last Sunday morning, the triumphal entry that Jesus made with his disciples into Jerusalem, just an amazing scene, amazing things took place. And then things progressively started getting worse for them and for Jesus. And it ended there on that Good Friday where it didn't seem so good at the time when Jesus went to the cross died a excruciatingly painful death, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. And as we left off on Friday night, things seemed bleak, to say the least. They seemed hopeless. Now, we're going to continue the narrative this morning, and I appreciate our worship team and the songs that you just heard, just an amazing uh, collection of songs. They've done an amazing job this week as well very appreciative of them, very thankful for those that have participated. But let me just say one quick thing before I jump into the message, you know, just a small little rabbit trail. Um, so, you know, last year we had some Easter invites that were made, and uh, one of our staff members uh, made a, a small little blunder. Um, instead of printing out or having printed out like 500 of these, we had 5,000 of these printed out. Uh, I don't even know if there's like 5,000 homes in this area, so there's no way we were going to pass all of them out. So they're just in a box somewhere, not really useful at all. This year, we had, I think, upwards to 500, uh, the cards and the, the door hangers that were printed off for Easter, getting everything ready. And I mean, the cards have looked great the past couple of years. So, you know, with everything that happened and moving things online, we really couldn't use them. People didn't really pass them out as much. We went more digitally and people were trying to share things online and promote this online. So I was kind of, you know, joking with our staff that, you know, next year, you know, forget that as well. Forget these as well. What we need to do is just have like five of them made. So we're not going to be out much money. But then my wife reminded me um, on Saturday morning uh, that maybe we should just print out a standard Easter card with no date, only the time. So the only thing that doesn't need to change is the time of which, of which we meet because people know when Easter is. So maybe we'll do that next year. So we're not out a bunch of money. We don't have all these cards just laying around. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there quickly. Let's go ahead and jump back into it uh, this morning. We've all had one of those weeks that started off great, got worse, and maybe even ended better. And that was again the week for Jesus. And everything is culminating and climaxing here as we finished on Friday at the cross. 
And again, things seemed helpless. Things seemed hopeless for Jesus and his disciples. But everything changed on that Easter Sunday morning. How many have ever experienced an earthquake? How many have ever been a part of an earthquake? Now, technically, I think I've been a part or experienced an earthquake when I was in Indiana. And it seems like a ridiculous thing, but there are earthquakes that have happened in Indiana. You know, I was studying just briefly, and you're probably wondering what this has to do with anything, but I was studying a little bit about earthquakes the past couple days. Earthquakes are life-altering events. According to the USGS, the definition of an earthquake is this. An earthquake is what happens when two blocks of the earth suddenly slip past one another. The surface where they slip is called the fault or the fault plane. The location below the earth's surface where the earthquake starts is called the hypocenter. And the location directly above it on the surface of the earth is called the epicenter. Let me simplify this for those that didn't understand what I was just saying. An earthquake is what causes the ground to shake and split open. You know, earthquakes can be devastating disasters. Uh, just a quick Google search of some of the most deadly earthquakes in history. I think one of the, the, one of the deadliest earthquakes on, on record um, happened in uh, the middle 1500s, 1556 in China. And over 800,000 people lost their lives. I can't even imagine that. 800,000 people lost their lives. I mean, that, you think about that. I mean, there's over 7 billion people in the world today, but this was almost 500 years ago, and 800,000 people lost their lives because of this earthquake. You know, earthquakes have life-altering effects, they are life-altering events, much like COVID-19 has been for us. You know, as of yesterday, Saturday, there have been over 1.7 million cases confirmed and just over 107,000 deaths. This disaster has affected us all in a great way. It has turned into a life-altering event for us as we've been confined to our homes, not being able to meet in person, gather together with one another. And before I continue that thought, let me just say something else that kind of popped into my head as I was studying uh, for this message this week and even thinking about it. You know, uh, I'm always trying to plan ahead as best we can. And I was making some plans even for next Easter. And I have, uh, I think I have some, some great plans for next Easter. I'm really going to try to get a jump on this and really I don't think many churches are doing this. So uh, at least at least right now, they're not doing this. So I think what we're going to do for next Easter, and we're going to try to, you know, get, get the ground running and try to uh, beat, beat the curve, if you will, for, for some churches, what they're doing. But next Easter, here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to meet together. I know it's, it's a crazy thought. How many, how many would love that to happen? Go ahead and comment below, like, share, whatever you want to do. I think all of us would love to be able to meet together, and that's, that's my goal for next Easter especially. I'm not saying this is going to last another year, but definitely next Easter, I want us to be able to meet together, not just, you know, in cars and a parking lot and social distancing, but actually be able to meet together and, and shake hands and hug one another and talk and fellowship with one another, whether it's in the building or 
out in the park or wherever it might be. That's the goal for next Easter. So I hate to give it away, but that's our plan. So hopefully, hopefully they, they come to fruition. But coming back to what I was talking about, even everything that has taken place the past several months with COVID-19, it's turning into a natural disaster. I think the president just declared uh, that it's uh, an emergency for all 50 states now with the, the death toll rising in America, I think to over 20,000 people. But really, that even pales in comparison to the life-altering event that took place 2,000 years ago. Did you know that there were two earthquakes that happened in a span of three days 2,000 years ago? The first earthquake that happened, happened on Good Friday, the day when Jesus died. The second earthquake happened on Easter Sunday, the day when Jesus rose from the grave. And this account is given to us in all four Gospels of the resurrection, of what took place in Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, get ready with me. Matthew 28. It's also mentioned in Mark chapter 16, as well as Luke chapter 24 and John chapter number 20. But to my knowledge, only one of the Gospels Only one of the gospel records gives the account of this earthquake, this life-altering event. And it's given to us in Matthew chapter number 28. So if you have your Bible and you're ready, go ahead and turn there with me. You can stand, you can sit, whatever you want to do. Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse number one. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake. And became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, or fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Amazing event that took place. And this earthquake, this life-altering event, an amazing thing that, that, that took place, that transpired on that Easter morning. The earth shook on Good Friday when Jesus died. The earth shook on that resurrection morning when Jesus rose victoriously from the tomb. In the Old Testament, when God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, the earth shook. When God was getting ready to do something big, something huge, the earth shook. And when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook. When he rose from the dead, there was a severe earthquake. And God wants to bring a big-time shaking in our lives today. I like how one preacher put it. He said... God wants to rock your world with some amazing truth. 
Again, when we left off on Friday, Jesus had died on the cross and it was an excruciatingly painful death. The term excruciating literally means out of crucifying. Crucifixion was an excruciating way to die because it was a very slow and painful means to death. Depending on the circumstances, some people could live for days after being nailed to the cross. Jesus spent about six hours total on the cross. But then came the morning. Then came the earthquake. You see, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were on their way to the tomb, to the sepulcher, to see it, to bring some spices with them, to anoint the body of Jesus, as was custom. Verse number three of chapter 28 of Matthew, it says the earthquake happened. That great earthquake shook the ground when the angel came down and he rolled back that stone. Oh, what amazing event that must have been. His countenance, the Bible says, was like lightning and his raiment, his clothing was white as snow. It was so astonishing. He was so astonishing, this angel, that the guards that were there on that day fell as if they were dead. And then the angel makes the greatest pronouncement in the history of the world. And we've already read it, but I, I love Luke's account. I love what Luke has to say. Luke chapter 24, verse 5, it says, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why seek the living among the dead? Now, I love the words here. Why are you here? Why are you seeking someone that is alive in a place where dead people live? Verse 6, he's not here, for he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? Hey, don't you remember what Jesus said? Don't you remember that he told you that he is not going to stay in the grave? That he is going to rise from the grave? So why are you here? Why are you seeking living in a place where dead people are? You see, here's the amazing thing. Death could not hold him. Man, put a bunch of hearts right there for that. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen And there are some today that still don't believe in the resurrection. There are some who count it as a myth. And we're not going to go that route this morning and, and explain everything that happened, but we do have biblical record that there are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection, not just going to an empty tomb. Some say, well, maybe they visited the wrong tomb. Well, the Bible tells us after this that Jesus was seen of the apostles, of the the disciples. He was also seen of other 500 witnesses. You know, it's easy to discount someone's testimony if they say a statement of fact, but you can't back it up with anything. If they're saying they did something, but no one was there to verify it, then you can't really count that as, a, you know, valid source. You can't really verify that. But when over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Christ, that tells us that this wasn't just some myth, that this truly happened. 
And here's the, the key to this whole message this morning. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love what one person said. They said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then nothing really matters. And that's true. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you eat. And some of you are probably even doing that right now. COVID-19. You're turning from Barbie to Carby or whatever it is. But if if Jesus didn't rise from, from the dead, then nothing we do matters. In a sense, we can just go ahead and eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And what's the point? It doesn't make a difference. But if Jesus did rise from the dead then we must accept everything he said as truth. Because his authority is absolute. We've mentioned his authority many times throughout this week. We started this past Sunday, last Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. We talked a little bit about some aspects of who he was, this king, the attributes of a king. He was that authoritative king. His authority was put on full display in the days preceding that, the days to follow. And really, we must accept that Jesus is the authoritative king. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be starting a new series, and I'm not going to talk about that now because we don't have time to get into that. But when we get there, I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about his authority and really what it means for us as believers, as Christians. But friends, I am here to tell you that Jesus Christ is risen. Aren't you glad for that? He is alive. And what matters is that we must live for him. We must worship him. We must serve him. We don't serve a dead man as some religions do. We serve a risen Savior. Matthew 28, 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And I want to close this week's journey by focusing briefly on his authority. The first thing that we see this morning, we don't have any notes that you can download, but we'll have some, some screens that will pop up in a few minutes. And if you want to follow along and you just want to jot some things down, go ahead and please feel free to do that. But the first thing is this. Jesus Christ has authority over life and death. He has authority over life and death. Shortly before his death, Jesus made an astounding statement to his disciples. John chapter number 10, verse number 18, the Bible says, No man taketh it from me. Talking about his life. No man can take my life except myself. And as he continues, but I lay it down of myself. The only way my life can be taken is not from the Jewish leaders, is not from the Roman soldiers, is not from the crowd, is not from all of those that were out against Jesus Christ. 
The only way that anything could happen to him is if he willingly laid down his life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power. I have authority to lay it down. And I have power. I have authority to take it again. Wow. What a statement. What a proclamation. This commandment have I received of my father. What a powerful statement. Who among men can determine whether or not they live or die? Only Jesus Christ. You see, he has authority over life and death. The second thing we see is he has authority over sin and Satan. All men die because of their sin. We're told in Romans chapter 5, I believe it is, that wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Sin entered the world with Adam, with Eve, with them disobeying God's command. When God said, hey, you can have everything in this garden, everything is yours except for this one tree. Can't touch it, can't eat of it, can't partake of it. Stay away. What do they do? They went there. Sounds like many of us today, sounds like many of our kids. You tell them, hey, you can do whatever you want except for this one thing. And what do they do? They do the thing that they're not supposed to do. That's like many of us as well. And I feel like that's a lot of my preaching sometimes. I preach on something and sometimes I don't even live it. And sometimes I'm sure if I struggle with it, I'm sure a lot of you struggle with it, if not all of you. But because sin entered in the world, death passed upon all men because all have sinned. And because of that, everyone dies because of their sin. But Jesus died without sinning. After he rose from the grave, he not only conquered the grave, he also conquered sin. Oh, death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is thy law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. 1 Corinthians 15. What a devastating blow this must have been to Satan and his minions when Jesus took off the grave clothes that Easter morning. And what we see is that Jesus has authority over life and death. He has authority over sin and Satan. And the third thing is this. He has authority over you and me. Friends, Jesus is our rightful master. He's our rightful Lord. He's our rightful Savior. Paul speaks of this reality in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, where he says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you want salvation, then you must believe that Jesus died for your sins. And not only did he die, but he rose from the grave. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What an amazing passage. 
Whoever wants salvation, all you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ has authority over life and death. He has authority over sin and Satan. He has authority over you and me today. And because of his authority over that, over all those things, here's what it means for us as we close out this message this morning. He reigns over us supremely. You see, Jesus, again, is our sovereign ruler. He reigns over us supremely. Do we need to go back and and talk about all the facts of Jesus being our sovereign Lord? I think it's something that we need to be reminded of constantly. He is in control no matter what is happening, no matter what is raging around us, no matter how long we may be quarantined. Jesus Christ reigns supremely. He is in control. He is sovereign, friends. The earth is his. Everything in it is his. He also loves us deeply. He loves us deeply. The resurrection is grounded in Christ's love for us. And what we need to do is rejoice in the demonstration of love, both on the cross and at the tomb. It shows his amazing love by willingly, willingly going to the cross, willingly laying down his life for you and for me. Susan sang that song on Friday night, how deep the father's love for us. It's so deep. The oceans can't even hold it. It's so vast so unfathomable. He reigns over us supremely. He loves us deeply. But then finally, he will judge us eternally. Because of our sins, we will be judged for our sins. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. You see, if you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then when your life is over, that's not the end. It's really just the beginning. And the Bible makes it clear that you'll either spend eternity in a place called hell, a lake of fire, torture, damnation, eternal suffering, apart from Jesus Christ, or you'll spend eternity in heaven if you accepted him as your Savior. So the question that we must answer is, do we believe that Jesus is the risen Savior? Have we surrendered to the universal authority of Jesus Christ being the divine king, the peaceful king, the authoritative king, and all those other attributes that we talked about last Sunday morning. Friends, is he your savior? Have you accepted him into your heart? Many here that are watching with us probably can say yes. But I dare say there may be some 
that can't answer that. There may be some that say, you know what, I've never actually asked Jesus to save me. I've never asked him in my heart to be my savior, to be my Lord. Is he your savior? Does your life belong to him? If you're here today watching with us and you've never been saved, I invite you, I encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord. As Paul said in Philippians, as we just read, whosoever shall call, or Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want salvation, if you want freedom, if you want a new name, if you want a new identity, then you must call upon the name of Jesus to save you of your sins. Ask him to forgive you where you failed. And here's the great truth. He will forgive you. It doesn't matter how bad you are, how bad you were. It doesn't matter your past. What's important is your future. Is the destiny that you were choosing for yourself. If you reject Jesus Christ, then you're setting yourself up for fatal torture and punishment, eternal damnation in a lake of fire that wasn't meant for you. It was meant for Satan and his demons. God wants to save you. He wants to give you new life, new hope. And if you're saved today, if you're a Christian, are you living for Jesus Christ? Have you allowed your new identity to shape out gospel living. We've been studying the gospel in depth this past week. The gospel is the good news. It's so much more than just the death, burial, and the resurrection. That's really just the start. The gospel is all of that. And then it's, it should take shape in our lives. And since Jesus Christ died on the cross, since he rose from the grave, we should give our lives to him willingly like he gave of his life. We should be willing to do anything we can for our Savior, for our Master, because he has given us a new identity, because he has made us joint heirs with his Son. We are sealed <laughs> and adopted, and chosen, and forgiven, and redeemed, accepted, all of those things. In church, I'm encouraging you, if Jesus is your Savior, live out your identity. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to tell you that it stands. The earthquake that shook the grave has the power to shake your lives as well. If you're lost, accept him as your savior. If you're saved, then rejoice in his authority and what he came to do because death could not hold him. He is risen. Woo! Praise God.